Welcome to the one-on-one with one and only sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Wan. Every person has a story to tell, and this podcast hopes to give an opportunity for those in the sport world to share their unique story. Each week, I interview a new guest to come on the show, and we talk about how they got to where they are in the sport world, what their daily life looks like, some misconceptions people have about their role, and we end with a fun rapid-fire segment to close the episode. If that sounds like something for you, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with others. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by The Pocket AT. Ever want to have your health-related questions answered whenever you have them? Look no further than The Pocket AT. It is like having an athletic therapist with you 24-7. It's a free informational hub that provides you everything you need to know about your health, including rehabilitative exercises, advanced sports-specific exercises, proper ways to stretch and foam roll, mobility exercises, nutrition, and a bi-weekly blog that discusses the most commonly asked questions to practitioners. Check out their content on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter at The Pocket AT, and on their website at pocketat.com. Now with all that done, let's go. Welcome to Episode 7 of the podcast. Today's guest is Theo Warren. Theo was a captain of the rowing team at Boston University, which competes in Division I of the NCAA. He recently finished his senior year, where he majored in mechanical engineering. Prior to this, he was a member of Penn AC, where he finished third at club nationals in his senior year of high school. Here is my interview with Theo Warren. Theo, thanks for joining us on the show today. How are you doing, my friend? I'm doing very well. I'm a little cooped up because of the coronavirus, but um, staying healthy, uh, staying sane, so all good. Yeah, Theo, I know as an athlete, it must be really hard right now. We're recording this at the time of COVID-19, so if you're listening to this later, this is uh, why Theo's talking about that. But Theo, how how are you doing with all that in terms of being cooped up, not being maybe being able to train as you're used to? It's very, very different for me. Um, I've gone from being that the in the best shape of my life to uh, sitting on the couch most of the, the day and being able to get outside very, very little. So um, I, I have a lot more free time now. Um, I've probably lost four hours of training a day, and now I'm just uh, spending it watching Netflix. So Yeah, and are you in the season still? Or is this, uh, well, I guess now with COVID, you're kind of off the season. But did that throw a wrench into some national championship plans and things like that? That it certainly did throw a wrench in things. Um, uh, COVID-19 has actually ended our season. Rowing, as you may know, is a spring sport primarily. We do compete in the fall, but it is primarily in the spring and they have um, completely canceled our season. So uh, this is my senior year and uh, unfortunately I won't get to compete my uh, my final senior year uh, spring. So really, really upsetting, but it is what it is. So. Just got to keep moving along. Yeah, that's definitely really hard, uh, Theo. I know we're going to get into the questions, but this is uh, definitely really hard. I can understand because I know a lot of seniors, even for other sports, that's a big thing right now is just understanding that their last event is actually not going to happen. So that's tough, Theo, and um, I hope you can continue to row afterwards, and uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But we're going to move into segment one here. So you're competed um, with Boston University. You're a senior. Uh, how did you get to where you are today? What are some events or people that are involved in getting you to where you're at as a Division One rower? Well, it really all started with my parents. Um, 
primarily in my mother. She really wanted me to start rowing back when I went to uh, high school. I started at Ridley College in Canada. And my my first semester there, I, I showed up and I was uh, ready, brought my soccer cleats and was ready to start playing soccer. And my mom said, no, Ridley has a really good and uh, historic rowing team there. And I want, I want you to try out. And after a little bit of uh, back and forth with her, uh, I finally finally gave up and I decided to start rowing. And I mean, we were on the water. It was just after summer. So it was, it was probably 25 degrees and sunny every single day. And it was just beautiful. And I did very little rowing actually for the first couple months. And so I, I was, I was all in, I love being by the water. And so it was, it was, um, a great soft sell into the, the sport of torture and agony that is rowing. And so I didn't really start rowing seriously until I changed high schools. I actually came to Massachusetts Tabor Academy to do to repeat a year. I had just broken my leg playing hockey and so I wanted to get a year back. And so I came primarily for hockey and then later kind of transitioned into rowing and rowing very seriously. I was um in the first boat the 3 years that I was there and it wasn't until my coach, uh, Taylor Washburn, he had made several Olympic runs as a uh, lightweight, and he had just kind of given up that that dream to uh, come teach. And he really kind of like opened my eyes and made me realize that it was possible to kind of take this seriously and um, and really make a go at it in in college. And so I, I really give him a lot of credit. He he really showed me kind of how to push myself and how to really like be an athlete. Yeah, I, I owe I owe a lot to him. So after that, I started the recruiting process. I wasn't I certainly was not the fastest recruit by any means at the time. I owe a lot to my current coach uh, Tom Bohr. He's a two-time Olympic silver medalist, and I I got to meet him after I came third at club nationals. My and he really he really just liked me and was. Uh, uh, he was the first coach that really showed an interest in me, despite me not being, you know, the fastest guy out there. And so he, uh, he and I just started a dialogue, started talking, and he he said he, he wanted to bring me aboard. And so that was a, a great moment for me, and um, definitely eternally thankful for him. Sounds great. I know that was kind of a bit of just a snapshot of how you got there, Theo. So I'm gonna go back a little bit here, back into your high school days. You mentioned your final year or your fifth year of high school, you transitioned into going to school in Massachusetts. I know you were going to school in Canada previously. So how was that in terms of being away from your parents, I I imagine, and just uh, kind of what you knew? How did that last year of high school go in terms of that transition? So actually, I transitioned my, uh, I repeated my second year of high school. So I was actually there for three years. But it was it was definitely a uh, big adjustment for me. Just yeah, of course, being away from home is very different. Don't really have that safety net necessarily. But Tabor was just a really great place. Um, a lot of really good friends, and yeah, I just got to kind of experience my first taste of freedom. And so you know, I, I took it really seriously. Had a lot of fun, but I also um, worked hard. And yeah, like I said. I made that transition just kind of from taking sports pretty casually to um, really going after it and really competing and competing with myself. 
uh, to be able to just take the next step and transition from just like a casual athlete to um, someone that could potentially be a division one athlete. Yeah. Uh, and other than that, there was also the big transition where I, I kind of thought I was going to be playing hockey my whole life. And then somewhere along the way, I, it kind of clicked to me that I was a better rower than I was a, a hockey player. So um, that was also a big adjustment. It, my senior year, I didn't even end up playing hockey. I just spent time in um, training independently uh, to kind of make another jump for myself uh, so that I could kind of get into a different recruiting pool. Someone that was potentially capable of getting like a scholarship to go division one. Um, and so, yeah, that's how I spent my, uh, my senior year. <laughs> and is that something pretty common in terms of a lot of rowers? Is that something that they do year round is just straight rowing or is there other sports that they would dip into as well? It kind of depends on where you are. I know New England, especially with the, the prep schools, they encourage you to do uh, multiple sports throughout the year. Um, and so that's what I did for the first two years. I uh, I played, I actually got back to soccer in the fall, and then I played hockey in the winter. And then uh, come come spring, I was all rowing. So that's pretty common in the uh, in the prep school kind of system. But depending on where you are, if you're in California where the weather is nicer, you're able to row year round, maybe down in Texas, although there's fewer clubs, but they they also row pretty well year round. So it's it's a little more common around there. And then definitely once you get outside of North America, it's pretty common as well. But for me, that that ended up being one of my biggest adjustment points when getting to college was just rowing year round. You mentioned a little bit earlier about some of the recruiting process. Could you maybe go into that a little bit more in terms of how the recruiting process shakes down and for rowing specifically. I know we've had other athletes on that talk about recruiting for other major sports. And could you maybe to also talk about a bit of the scholarship landscape as well? We definitely in NCAA sports see the high profile sports like football and basketball where a lot of those athletes get full rides and they get a lot of media coverage. So I'm sure it's a little bit different with rowing. So could you maybe talk about those things? Yeah, there there certainly wasn't any media coverage when I uh, signed my scholarship, uh, but it does still play a, a pretty significant role, especially in in rowing. There there seems to be a lot more uh, fundraising involved, a lot more alumni presence than I'm sure a lot of sports, which certainly helps, especially when it comes to NCAA. There's a lot of recruiting that's also outside of North America. I mean, our team had a large Serbian presence when I arrived, a large German presence while I was here, and then it's kind of been transitioning into a Oceania, like kind of uh, Australia and New Zealand recruitment process now. Um, so those guys are, um, when they're the top caliber of athlete, they're they're looking at uh, full scholarships and things like that for guys like such as myself that just weren't the fastest recruits where we can often negotiate um, some type of partial scholarship uh, really it comes down to how fast you are on the erg which is the uh, indoor rowing machine and it's really the only metric that is universal and you can have really great results in boats but if you're in an eight-man boat it's hard to kind of see um, exactly 
you know, how you might fit and how fast you really are, um, because a boat on the water is very different from on the machine. So uh, really comes down to ERG scores. Um, the 2K ERG is the, the top metric that most coaches use, as well as the 6K. And so those are the scores that you kind of send off. And if you're kind of in the, the speed bracket that coaches are looking for, you'll, you'll get a response. It's a it's an interesting time uh, transitioning from your junior to senior year because there's you're allowed to contact the coaches prior to I, I can't remember the exact date I think it may be like June first or something like that so you can you can email as many coaches as you want before that date but they're not allowed to email you and so come June first you start getting emails back and then you kind of know where you where you fit in the in the recruiting pool and if you're kind of closer to the top or if you don't get so many emails then maybe not so much but yeah that's that's really how it goes and when you start getting those emails back from coaches then you can kind of start negotiations start seeing if you can get official visits which is like a visit to the school you go and you spend a day or two i forget the exact length they have a required length with the team and you kind of get to see the them practice and see them in the dorms and see if that's where you see yourself kind of fitting in. So you obviously chose Boston university. Were there other schools you were looking at and what made Boston um, stand out to you compared to the other schools? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I was looking at a lot of schools and I think I was looking at a lot of schools that I probably wouldn't have fit in with very well. I just kind of, was looking at the program and the school and kind of like the the title of it, you know. And so there were a lot of schools that I was looking at that probably wouldn't have fit in with very well. I would have been a very, very small fish instead of just a smaller one and probably wouldn't have lasted very long. And really what it came down to was um, my coach. Uh, so like I said, Tom Bohr, I was probably just outside of the recruiting class for pretty well every school that I looked at. I looked at like California and I was looking at, so Berkeley and then also Cornell. Cornell was more for the academic stance. So I probably fit in at Cornell. I was just outside at BU of the recruiting class that is, and then um, was pretty far outside for California. But when it came down to it, my, my coach just kind of like, I guess, had a hunch. He liked me. And so he opened negotiation when no one else would. And he said he wanted me to be here. And so like, it felt good to, to be wanted when everyone else was like, eh, well, we don't really know. And so, yeah. And then I went, I went on the official and like, I love the guys. They're, they're such a diverse and like quirky kind of group, just like fit in really well. So, yeah, I was just really excited to be able to be a part of that. That's awesome, and big shout-out to your coach as well, taking a chance on you. I know that obviously must feel good now as you're in your senior year. You're look, you're reflecting back on your career, but now you're also trying to maybe look in the future. So what would you say are your aspirations for rowing afterwards? Are you planning on retiring? Are you planning to continue on? What's the plan here for Theo? It looks like it's probably just going to be mostly retirement for me. Definitely, it's been it's been a long four years. Rowing is really really tough on your body, especially lower back joints have felt better. You know, 
So I, I think I'm probably going to uh, say goodbye to rowing, at least for a little while. Definitely going to continue to use it to stay in shape and do it, do it for fun. But I don't see any more competitive rowing in my future. Maybe, maybe once I get to the uh, master's class and then I'll, uh, when I'm 60, I'll, I'll hop back in the boat and maybe show up for ahead of the Charles or something. There you go. And any coaching aspirations with that or not at all? Yeah, I, I could definitely see myself doing it. I don't really know how it would fit in and I don't really look forward to the early mornings again, but if there was a club nearby that were, that was interested in having me as a coach, I could, I could definitely see myself as doing that. So. Awesome. No, that's good to hear. And what advice would you give to someone who's uh, maybe a rower or just someone trying to get onto a, a team in Division One in NCAA or any division? What's some advice you would give to someone in their senior year or someone looking to reach that next level? I think definitely just finding that next that next like edge, that next step, competing with yourself, any student athlete in high school right now that's looking to go Division One is almost 100% at the very top of their program in high school. And so that's actually like a tough place to be. I I myself was probably the top, definitely one or two in my program, both my junior and senior year. And so I struggled in just like taking that next step and being able to push myself versus being able to like compete for a top spot. Um, so my, my sophomore year, I saw a lot more growth than I did my junior or senior year, just because there were a lot of guys that were above me. And so just realizing that the difference between a college athlete and like a high school athlete is just how much you're willing to push yourself. Like when I was looking at division one athletes, I was just thinking that they were a totally different caliber. Whereas it's really just the, the time you're willing to put in and how much you're willing to push yourself. And that's, that's the difference between high school and college. Those are some good points there, Theo. And that actually segues really well to segment number two, day-to-day life. So now, as you're finishing up your college career, can you share what the day-to-day life looks like for a Division One rower? Give us a realistic snapshot of the hours it takes, because I know there are many and early. Yeah, certainly a lot of them, and certainly a lot of them are in the morning. I chose the, the wrong wrong sport for a uh, for someone that doesn't like mornings. My practices were actually also better than most of uh, other college teams. That's an important distinction. We started around 6.30 every day. A lot of teams started around 5.30 or earlier, especially if they had a drive to the boathouse. But uh, an important part of just like preparation for practice is just being mentally awake. And so although they recommend like three hours, uh, we had a team rule that was you're up an hour ahead. So if we were practice at 630, I was up at 530 every day, which were kind of the later days. We had a lot of six clocks. Um, so generally my day would start at five. I would get up, have a snack, just kind of uh, get ready, pack my bag for school because I would generally leave for classes right after leaving the boathouse. So I'd yeah eat, drink my coffee. Uh, pack my bag, and then I'd walk over to the boathouse 15 minutes early just kind of so I could uh, stretch out, get ready for the day, um, roll out uh, anywhere that's feeling especially sore. Then we would 
be on the water by 6.45, 7, then spend two hours on the water training off by around just just before 9 normally, and then kind of showered and ready to get out of there by 9.30. Then I would head straight over, well, it, it kind of depended year from year. I was a mechanical engineer, so I certainly had a heavier workload than a lot of people. So I'll just give you the junior year kind of experience because that was the worst and it'll make make me look the toughest. So so I would generally like run over after showering, leaving the boathouse, I'd run over to the dining hall, scarf down some eggs and whatever else they had for the day. And then I would head to class. Depending on the day, I was either, I, I started at 10 o'clock pretty well every day. Um, and then Mondays, I was done by like 6 p.m. Uh, Mondays and Wednesdays, I was done by 6 p.m. or later. Um, and then Tuesdays, Thursdays, I was done by 2 or 3 o'clock. And then Fridays, I was done at like 3 o'clock as well. Yeah, I would just be in class, probably four classes a day. Uh, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I think two. But Tuesdays and Thursdays, we also had lifts in the afternoon. So right after class was done, I would go and do a one-hour lift. That would be my second practice. Basically, you're looking at two practices a day, almost every day, except for Saturday, which was one. Sunday was a day off. So in the after, every morning, we'd be rowing for two to two and a half hours, classes all day, and then either a lift in the afternoon or a um, like quotation optional practice row on the water. So, and then Friday we actually had an organized practice where um, it was just like shorter, but more explosive work. So long days. So how many, how many people showed up for the uh, optional uh, practice there? It was a, uh, it was quote unquote optional, but it was mandatory or how's that work? Yeah. So we, we had those two practices. Um, they're like on the water in small boats. So we generally row in boats of eight. Um, so the small boat sessions are, are really good for you, but they also, you know, they're just extra time in the day. And so, but you had to make one of them. So I either Monday or Wednesday. And so probably half the, half the team showed up for each of them, but you had to get one in. And then on top of that, you generally have like a, a steady state session, which is just like low heart rate, kind of long, continuous work. And that was a on your own, like mandatory practice as well. So a lot of practicing and balancing classes, it sounds like. And did you have to do I know other sports more? Um, there are some sports that are definitely more film heavy. So would you say rowing had that at all? Did you guys watch film at all? Or is that not something you did? We did, uh, we, no, we do like a little bit. It's, it's hard to go through like an entire, like, like you can't really go through a practice. So it, it, it kind of comes down to more like one-on-one -on -one. coach will be in the launch and he'll take a video of like you personally doing something and then he'll come to you and like, you'll just have like a five, 10 minute uh, chat and just be like, Hey, this is something that like looks a little off. This is maybe you should adjust your body a little bit in this way. Um, something like that. So not really, we didn't really have like film sessions. The most we would do is maybe look at a national team that we kind of liked the way that they were rowing. And, and then we would 
sit down as a team 15 minutes before practice and then just kind of watch watch for specific things that we want to um, incorporate or maybe just get better as a team and then that's that's really the most we ever had as a like film session so sounds good and were there certain parts of your day you found definitely less enjoyable or, or more menial or or you kind of loving all of it that a whole experience um <laughs> and you can be honest now that you're done you're done so now you can be a little bit more honest and say hey i, I actually yeah, didn't really like that part <laughs> definitely um the first class after practice and breakfast i was almost 100 percent asleep <laughs> those were the those were the hardest classes to kind of drag through because you were you were already up for like six hours or like five hours and everyone else has been up for 30 minutes and so you're uh you're just kind of dragging through those ones um then as the day goes on you kind of like wake up a little more those classes were definitely the hardest um and then just like after second practice getting home and having to do like a couple hours of homework is definitely a hard like switch to flip kind of get in that so yeah you're not the only athlete we've had on the podcast so i know a lot of them have mentioned or a few of them have mentioned just this idea of being a full-time job so it definitely feels like you're balancing a full-time job of rowing and and school does it not absolutely i mean organized practice where the coaches are there and the whole team is there is not i think i think it's 21 hours is the maximum and we use that entire 21 hour period every week and then just on top of that is the um the lifts that are held by a different coach so i don't think that counts and then we have like on your own kind of stuff which is and once you get into college that's that's the stuff that that's the only way to differentiate between teams is like everyone's now doing the same stuff. So it's how much are you doing on your own? And that's the only way to move up in a team. And that's the only way to make your team move up in the league. And so that's like a big part of it. And that's time that you're adding, but you don't really get to count the 15 minutes every time you walk to and from the boathouse and like after before practice after practice before second practice after second practice before you're you're on your own after you're on your own it like it just eats away at your time and so you think you have an hour and then you realize you have to do half an hour of walking and then you're just especially at on BU's campus, it's like a long two mile stretch. And so you just do so much walking. And so that that time really ends up adding up to we're, we're, we're looking at close to 40 hours a week every week. For sure, maybe you need to uh, have invested in a bike or something or a or a scooter to jet around campus. Yeah, <laughs> our, our coach banned scooters after someone had a had a spill on them. And then uh, Bikes, <laughs> bikes are always are always uh, a little tricky to maintain and keep safe in Boston. So I, I did have one my freshman sophomore year, and then I uh, locked it up on a on a pole right before a big snowstorm, and I didn't have it out until late April. So that that bike was pretty much just totaled. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. And could you walk um, the audience through? 
what a big race would look like. What would race day look like in terms of when you get up, the nutrition, the waiting around, and then the actual competing? So our our typical races, our 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 like game day, it changes a lot from week to week, and they're they're very different experiences pretty much every time. So we have one type of race, which is pretty well every weekend throughout the spring. Um, and they're just duels, one, one team versus one team that, that one's our most typical. That one's almost always early, pretty early in the morning, probably like eight thirty, nine o'clock. So like I said, it's, it's important physiologically just to get rid of like, it's called sleep momentum, lethargy, basically up three hours before always doesn't matter if it's a like seven o'clock race you're you're getting up at four (laughs) you gotta you gotta kind of trick your brain into thinking it's like kind of afternoon (laughs) and so you get up you uh definitely get some coffee and then you have like kind of a bigger meal you know um i like just like eggs toast maybe a little bit of like bacon or ham or whatever it happens to be and then you just kind of you spend that time like trying not to like get antsy you want to get excited when you're closer to the race so you like I'll, I'll play like video games or something. My friends will sometimes do homework. I I can't focus on homework when I, on a on a race day though. Up until probably like an hour before, and then kind of a lighter carbohydrate based meal, kind of like uh, snacks. I like kind of like Belvita or uh, they're kind of like wafers, and then like an hour before just to kind of get those sugar levels up, carbohydrates, and definitely hydrating the whole way. I weigh. Every day when I wake up, it's at least 16 ounces of water before practice, probably um, a full liter, especially on on race day. Then, so that brings us up to like an hour before, then I'm at the boathouse, kind of getting ready, stretching, again, rolling out, starting a warm up, just getting the body moving, uh, ready to go, kind of 15 minutes on the indoor machine, really get your, kind of light, get your body just like starting to break a sweat. That's when we get hands on, put the boat in the water. Then we go do a race prep, just kind of shorter stuff, getting some like explosive movements in, getting your body ready. And then you're, uh, then you're lined up for the race. Six minutes later, you're done and, uh, you're done for the day and it's not even 10 o'clock and got a full day ahead of you. So what do you do after the race? Your adrenaline must be so high after. So what do you do at what do you do after? Yeah, adrenaline generally generally lasts you like halfway through the race and then you you kind of like, "Oh no, now I'm tired." <laughs> but afterward, just like long cool down is really important, just making sure you're like taking care of your body, get back in um some sugars just and then just start refueling, getting your body ready. Um, our coach, he likes us to do a, a longer, like flush out of any lactic acid. So, um, after our cool down, we, uh, of course we'll have like a, a team meeting each of the duels. It's, it's kind of cool. They have like, um, little, like, like still like trophies that are presented. So we'll have like a big trophy ceremony after pretty well every race. Um, parents are there. They normally have a good like food spread and we'll, we'll eat all that. And then. 
uh, we'll go back. I, I always take a nap. And then later on in the day, we, we come back and do like normally just like 30 minutes of good solid work just to really drain the lactic acid, um, just kind of active recovery, which is important because we're typically practicing the next day. So are there any special events where you're competing more than once a day or is that not common? That I should have gotten to. <laughs> um, so our duels are kind of the typical race. Um, and then at the end of the season, we have two like bigger regattas where you can be. It's normally a three-day event. Um, well, actually, one is a two-day event. Sorry, it's only one day. Or what am I thinking? Um, and you'll race twice on the same day. That one's it's called Eastern Sprints because we're on the like Eastern Seaboard. We we have like all the the teams from the East come and compete in a day. So you'll do like heats and finals. Um, and then towards the end of the season, or the end of the season is, um, uh, it's called IRAs. It's like the entire rowing community goes. And then, so you'll heat semis finals. Um, it'll, you'll compete over the course of like three days. If you like mess up your, you have an opportunity to get back in. So it's like heats and then you can get back in and then semis finals. So it's like a lot of racing, but you've been training like the whole season. So. For those special events, how would the, as you mentioned, those three-day championships, how would the prep and recovery look like on that day? Because are you taking a nap still? What does that look like? It kind of depends. Uh, everything is on like a timetable. So it depends on uh, if you if you have the luxury of getting a little bit of sleep in, you definitely can. Um, it's, a, it's always a good way just to recover. Again, you want to be like awake like three hours before. And so if you don't have that kind of time, then uh, generally it'll be just like a really long cool down, try and dr again, drain all the lactic acid uh, possible and refueling and rehydrating while you do that. And that's just like the best you can do. Yeah. You're, you're back on the water, uh, warming up and racing again. Awesome. We're going to move Theo into the next segment, misconceptions. I know People are going to have certain views of different positions in the sport world. So just wanted to ask you, what are some misconceptions people have about being one, a student athlete, and then number two, being a rower? What are some misconceptions people have that you potentially have heard or have been told? So I think that primarily the, the biggest one that I hear, especially for athletes in general, and I'm sure this changes from school to school, but this is primarily at BU is the, the one I hear is that athletes are here at the school and they're, they're only here as like athletes. They're not really here as students. So, and like building on that is that the only reason we got into the school is that we're athletes and that we're wanted there just to like compete. And that's, it's kind of a joke and some people get really hot and bothered by it. I don't really care because like, I know that's just not the case. The athletes at BU have a cumulative like GPA that is a higher average than the general student body. Most of us are taking like the hardest, like they're either in business or engineering or just like the hardest majors you can. All, all the athletes on campus work harder than 95% of the student body easily. And I, I'm sure there are some like exceptions to that. And like every once in a while you'll hear on the news, like a, 
like some school has, I don't know, like made up a class to boost the GPA of their athletes or something, something like that. Certainly not true of what I've seen. It's not even remotely possible. 99% of us are not going to be competing as athletes after we graduate. Like all, almost all of us are here first and foremost as students and see employment and as our future rather than like our sport. Again, there are the exceptions that are like either going to like, I don't know, the NFL, NBA or like NHL or something like that. Certainly as rowers, there's maybe one every 10 years that continues on after after they graduate. That's probably the biggest thing. And like I said, some people get upset about it. I don't I don't really I don't really care. Like, I know it's not true. And then what about the sport of rowing itself? What are some misconceptions people have about the sport of rowing? Some people don't really know too much about it in general. So what are some things that you may have heard about that? I mean, other than that, we only row with our arms, which is like the typical question that I get. Probably that like we're kind of like a cult. <laughs> it's uh, it's kind of it's it's like almost a joke among us at this point. But they ju- they just like see a group of like forty five guys and that I don't know spend like way too much time together. But it's just kind of the way the the what the sport demands of you, and so. We, we do spend a lot of time together and we do really enjoy what we do. And so it looks like a, like an impenetrable like, group of people, but we like, we love hanging out with each other, but we also love like getting away from our sport and being involved in other things on campus when we can, of course, you know, like time restrictions sometimes deny us the opportunity, but for the most part, we like we have diverse groups of friends that we're involved with, and I, I would say I would say we're definitely not. But how would you also describe the community with other athletes? Is that something that's pretty common at BU, where athletes from different teams will hang out, or is it more teams are kind of separate? Yeah, no, I think I think we're actually really good about that. I think that's. Part of the part of the thing is like most most groups of students like see athletes as like people again like that only really hang out with other athletes and or like people in their team and so we we recognize that like other athletes aren't like that and so we actually end up spending a lot of time hanging out with like other groups of uh, athletes uh, among other teams and things like that and so it's it's really like a bigger culmination of like one big team really (laughs) kind of corny but and like we'll organize like events and like mixers and things like with the other teams like definitely hang out with them at the dining halls and things like that and we we do tend to gravitate towards each other in in like classes and things because we just i don't know they have to go through the same stuff they have the same time commitments and we understand it whereas other students don't really meeting up at 11 p.m. to work on a project isn't really going to work for us. So it just works well hanging out with them. So You also have that common bond, the common uh, understanding that you're all having full-time jobs along with going yeah, to school. Exactly. So you can both experience that. That's awesome. We're going to move to segment four here, rapid fire. I didn't prep you beforehand, so we're just going to go off the cuff here, ask you some questions. So first question here, name your top three sports teams of all time and your top three athletes. Again, I'm a huge like hockey fan, and I'm kind of a traitor towards uh, Canada. Um, I've always been a Pittsburgh Penguins fan. Oh, boo! <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. 
I like grew up watching them. I was a big fan of them before Sidney Crosby, but when he came along, it was like a, a big game changer for me. And so, and that's when they started getting really good. Um, and so that was an exciting time in my life. And so those are definitely two like big team for me and a big, not really role model, but uh, someone I really enjoyed watching play. And other than that, I'm actually having like a hard time. Really, I only watch hockey and rowing isn't like we don't really have like teams. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like definitely um, when I started getting involved with rowing, we were sending like a Can the Canadian eight. I forget what year it was, um, but they were going to the Olympics. They ended up coming second, even though they, they, they thought they were going to um, win, but that was an exciting time. And probably the first time I really started watching rowing. I didn't even know it existed before that. There you go. Any athletes you love, you want to shout out or, or some of your favorites out there? Again, it's one of those like things that there are some rowers that know every rower and of every national boat. And then there are those that, you know, you're focused on just like your team and what you're doing. So uh, sorry, I don't have a great answer to these questions. No, it's all good. It's all good. Question number two here, what's your favorite sports memory of all time? So this could be something that you were a part of or something you watched on TV or the internet. For me, I, I briefly touched on it. Um, and again, like watching sports hasn't been as big of a thing for me as it has for other people. I've always rather been out there playing than like sitting down and watching. Um, so for me, it's got to be going to Henley and like, I briefly mentioned it, I think, but really that was the reason my mother wanted me to start rowing was so that I could go to Henley so that she could watch me go, like row at Henley because she's English. And so she was pretty familiar with it, but that was the reason I was like forced into it. And so always in the back of my mind, it was like one of those things that I like should be doing and kind of wanted to do. And once I got really serious about the sport, I kind of, I kind of saw it as something I really wanted to do. And this past summer, I was kind of given the opportunity. And when I say that, I mean that they, my, my team BU was taking 12 guys of which I was not one of the planned guys to go. And so they were having a training camp for it. Well, they, they didn't say it directly, but they basically said, these are the guys that we want to go. But you guys are welcome to stick around and try and take their spot if you want. And so I did. I decided I was going to be really stubborn about it. And I stuck around for an extra like three weeks. And I like slept on an air mattress because they weren't going to arrange a room for me because I wasn't supposed to be there. And we all like paid for our own food to stay there. And lo and behold, five days before we were going to get on the plane, they let me race against the one of the guys and I went faster. And so I took his spot and um, I got to go and it was like an unbelievable experience. Um, I've never rode, I've never competed, done anything um, with that many people watching. And it's like, again, one of the, the greatest rowing events that there is right now. And I got to be a part of it. And so... That was definitely my the best athletic experience I've ever had. So that's awesome. And your mom, Sue Warren, was she able to go and watch then? Oh, she was there. She was there on the side, wearing a big hat, and you know, drinking pims as they all do, and getting to watch in beautiful weather, unbelievable event. And so, really happy I could have been a part of that. She she actually before I knew I was going, she she booked her flight because she was convinced that I was going to make it. So. 
Wow. She was right. Great trust in her son right there. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We're going to move to some non-sports questions now. You got one last meal to eat on Earth. You got to tell me what you're drinking, your appetizer, main course, and dessert. I mean, if it's the last one, I'm going to... My dad loves cooking Italian, and so this is mostly just going to be an Italian meal, but definitely a good one. Arancini, it's like deep-fried risotto balls. Unbelievable. That's my appetizer. Then saltimbaca, it's uh, like a veal strip. Uh, rolled up and kind of pan fried and in, in like butter and white wine unbelievable and dessert probably a chocolate lava cake that one's less italian but still delicious and then to drink i think i'll just take a a, a strawberry milkshake just to really mix it up so you're you're diverting out of the italian theme a little bit with those two last a little choices bit, a little bit towards okay. the end <laughs> so i'm gonna give you a chance to put on a concert in your backyard you're allowed to book any band or artist in the history of the world. You got to pick three and the order in which they play. I can't get around the Beatles because, like, you know, they're the Beatles. There's nothing more than you can say about that. And then, you know, for my dad and some good classic rock, I'll probably bring back bring the uh, the Allman Brothers. And then, um, as a personal favorite and uh, a little bit. For the newer generation, um, AJR. All right, there you go. Eclectic mix for your audience that could potentially be in your backyard. I like it. So question five here. What's the best advice you ever received from a coach in terms of your athletic development? What's the best advice you ever received? Yeah, I I think I think this goes back to probably my high school coach again, Taylor Washburn. It, he was He was a man of very little words. He even even what during practices he would say very little. He he liked to kind of like think on things and talk about them uh, like afterward in a very like well thought out way. And so it, it was never it was never really what he said. But he was like a young guy. Like I said, he had just come off a like a an Olympic run, and he he just he would train with us, which is something I've never really experienced with a coach. And he just, he just like kind of demonstrated to me and showed me that just being part of the team and like even being the best on the team is like not enough. Like we would come in in the morning at 6am for our morning practice and he would be finishing up a workout that he did on his own. And then he would go on to work out with us again. And he just, he just had like the most unbelievable mentality and he just would always show me just like what it took to kind of really go for it and be not just like again like a casual athlete but really be able to kind of take the next step awesome and last question here if you could be any position on any team in any sport what would it be and if you want to go individual that's fine too i had someone tell me they wanted to be at the masters so that was their uh make-believe uh story there you can you have all the skill in the world so you could be anybody what would it be all the skill in the world as much as i've enjoyed my uh my time rowing rowing isn't a game it's not it's it's something that you enjoy it's not something that's like inherently fun (laughs) so i'll 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 step away from rowing it it involves a 
it's it's just a lot of pain and it, like how competitive you are. Whereas hockey, hockey is just just downright fun. It's so fast, so much fun. I will go back to my glory days and say I'm going to be a defenseman on the Pittsburgh Penguins, but a go. lot better than I ever was. So <laughs> the next Chris Letang is what you're saying. Yeah, something like that. That would be. I, I've always been a big guy, so maybe maybe not Latang. Latang's a little smaller and uh, quicker. And I guess if I, I have all the skill, then it doesn't matter. You have all the skill, so you can choose. You could you could be that smaller guy. That's fine. So if you're looking for more information on Theo, you can check out the Boston University website, uh, the athletic website. There's a little bit of a bio on him, and you can learn a little bit more about his journey and kind of what he's done in the rowing world. So, Theo, thanks for your time. We do appreciate it. Um, you coming out, sharing your story and some of your experiences. Happy retirement to you there, Theo. And uh, hope you enjoy it and maybe get back to playing some hockey, which you love, I know. So, thanks again. All right. Thank you very much, Theo. Thanks for listening. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Ashwin Patel, mental skills coach for the Guelph Storm of the Ontario Hockey League and the Utica Comets of the American Hockey League. Hear about Ashwin's journey to becoming a mental skills coach for two hockey teams and the lessons he teaches his players to help with their mental performance. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports and see some of my commenting highlights on YouTube at the channel Juan and Only Sports. Cashew listeners on the flip side. Peace.